Thank you very much indeed, Derek. It's lovely to be back at uh, Great Parks and sharing fellowship with you once again. You'll notice I've just lost a couple more hairs, and I've put a bit more on here. But it's lovely to see you all, some new faces and some older faces, and it's wonderful to renew friendship and fellowship with you. Now, I have a special assignment today, as you will see, from the program, and dear Margaret here sent it all to me some weeks ago, giving me time to get myself sorted out from the scripture that I have to share with you today. We're going back a little in history, uh, in biblical history, because we're going back to Jesus in the temple. Um, Last week, you were the triumphal entry, and today, we're Jesus in the temple, Matthew chapter 21 and verse 12. You all have that on your notice sheet. So I read to you from verse 12 of Matthew chapter 21. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, My house will be called a house of prayer but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. And when the chief priests and teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise? And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. Early in the morning... As he was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, May you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither So quickly, they asked. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. If you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, Go, throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive what you ask for, in prayer. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you this morning for your word. We pray that you will bless your word to our hearts and glorify your name. For Jesus' sake, we ask it. Amen. As Ray commented in the prayer room, my sermons are not long. They only seem long. 
So he must have remembered that from my last visit. Jesus once again going into the temple. Back in John's Gospel, chapter 2, we read of his first visit going into the temple. And exactly the same things were happening then as they were three years later. Jesus, of course, was upset because of what was happening, taking place in the temple. And he rebuked those who were doing what they shouldn't have been doing and said that this house is the house of prayer and you're making it a den of iniquity. Three years had passed. Nothing had changed as far as the religious observances of those people were concerned. The temple was no longer a holy place, but a place where people would come with their merchandises and buying and selling, and the money changes. But then something wonderful happened. Jesus began to exercise his power, healing power. The lame, the blind, they came to Jesus. Why did they come to Jesus? Because they knew that Jesus would help them. He was the good man, the one who went about doing good. And the Bible records that during his three years short ministry, he touched a lot of people in many different ways. The blind saw, the lame walked, the lepers were cleansed. And so before Jesus was going to that place called Calvary, A number of people, we don't know how many, came into the temple and were touched by the powerful presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. But of course, it says when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children. We mustn't forget the children. Children played a vitally important part in the life and ministry of Jesus. He said to his disciples when mothers were bringing their children to Jesus, the disciples turned them away thinking maybe Jesus was too busy for the little ones. But Jesus rebuked the disciples and said, don't Turn them away. Let them come to me, for of such is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. I want you to know today that children are vitally important as far as Jesus is concerned. Thank you, Derek, for praying for the young people that have gone into the back rooms and for those who are teaching them, because Here they were singing concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus rebuked 
those people who were indignant and said, have you never read from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise from the book of Psalms, Psalm 8 and verse 2. These religious people had no idea as to the extent of Jesus' ministry or the value of the ministry of children. They were there last week, weren't they? They were crying out, singing out, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. And then it says he left them and went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. Now I wonder with whom Jesus spent the night. Probably in the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Remember the threesome? The two sisters, the brother, and how Jesus performed a miracle in raising up Lazarus from the dead. Jesus often went to Bethany. It's called the house of bread. And no doubt Jesus was physically nourished when he went to Bethany to his friends. They were special especially Lazarus, when Jesus knew that Lazarus had died, it says that Jesus wept. I'm so grateful for that little phrase, Jesus wept. Some people feel it's wrong to weep, to show an emotion, but it's not. It's not. Tears are not a sign of weakness, but of controlled strength. And so whenever Jesus was in the area, he would go and spend time with his friends. And it says early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. I find that little difficult to understand Didn't Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, if he stayed with them, didn't they give him a good breakfast? The medical world tells us that the most important meal of the day is breakfast. But not so Jesus, it appears. I believe it was providential that on his way he felt hungry. I'm grateful for that statement because it reaffirms and reconfirms the fact that Jesus, although divine, was also human. Was also human. He knew what it was to be hungry. Remember, as Derek read, the woman at the well, Jesus asked her for a drink. He knew what it was to be thirsty but he also knew what it was to be weary. Because in that lovely story, it says, and Jesus being wearied from his journey, sat at the well. Twelve noon. You get hungry. You get thirsty. You get weary. There's someone who understands. There's a lovely song, No One Understands Like Jesus. 
And what you're going through today, I don't know. You may have overwhelming issues, but he knows and he understands. Now, I don't know where the disciples were at this time, but it says that the disciples joined him. They joined him. Now, whether they'd been staying with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, I don't know. We mustn't speculate. But Jesus, in verse 19, it says, Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it and found nothing on it except leaves. Now, I'm just wondering, Jesus, who knows everything... What did he expect from that fig tree? I've been reading up about fig trees and it seems as if at that particular time of the year there was what they call an early fig. So Jesus, wanting some nourishment, goes to the fig tree full of leaves but he finds no figs, no figs. And so he says to the tree, may you never bear fruit again. And the Bible says the tree withered, withered. The disciples, they saw it, they were amazed. They were amazed. They said, did the fig tree, why did the fig tree die so quickly? Jesus said, I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. If you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Now, that would cause us, some of us, to question exactly what Jesus meant when he said, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. I was reading about a lady, and she was reading this portion of Scripture, and while she was reading it, she was looking out at the mountains, and she thought, I'm going to just put this to the test. And so she said to the mountains, be moved. (laughs) Nothing happened. And she said, there you are, I knew it wouldn't. But you see, Jesus said there emphatically, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Is that true? Whatever we ask for in prayer, we will receive? That's somewhat misleading, isn't it? Let me just refer you to a portion of Scripture that's helped me tremendously. Because in my ministry over the years, I've been privileged to visit hundreds, perhaps thousands of people in hospital, some critically ill, some terminally ill, and they want you to pray. What do you pray for? How do you pray And I found this wonderful portion in God's Word in 1 John and chapter 5. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. 
This is the confidence we have when we come to God in prayer. We have to have confidence in God when we come to him in prayer that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. And the Lord said to me, David, one day, two words, his will. That's the most important aspect of prayer, his will. Remember Jesus, our Savior, in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing what lay ahead of him, said, if, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And because God is sovereign, God has a plan and God has a purpose for each and every one of us in this church today. The will of God, nothing more, nothing less, nothing but. So we have to be careful when we pray. But we can have confidence when we come to God in prayer that he will grant that which he knows is best for us. May not be what we think is best, but there's a little old chorus we used to sing years ago. He knows what is best for his children in body, soul, and mind. Now, it's only us Christians who can have confidence in God. The only prayer that a non-Christian gets a hearing from God is asking for forgiveness, which brings us entrance into the family of God. As a child of God, we come then with confidence asking him. But there has to be that prayer Repentance toward God, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, acceptance of the gift of eternal life. And then that's when we can be confident that God will withhold from us that which will do us bad rather than good. So please remember that. Christians have access to the throne of grace but we always end our prayer with your will be done. Your will be done. Now I want us as I close this morning to have a look at this fig tree. I've never preached on this subject before and I've got a little interest in fig trees. Some of you older people remember years ago a laxative? Oh, you do. Oh, did it work? <laughs> Syrup of figs. When I was reading this, I, my mind went back to when I was a little boy. Syrup of figs. Syrup of figs. We've got a little fig tree on our patio. Catherine's niece gave it to us about four years ago. We've had no fruit, so according to Luke, I need to cut it down. 
but I don't do that in case her niece visits us and says, oh, where's your tree, Uncle Dave? Well, it's still there, full of leaves, but as yet we've had no things. Remember yesterday, that lovely marriage service, wasn't it lovely? I sat and I watched it, and um, Lady Jane Fellows read from the Song of Songs, and it mentioned the fig tree, the fig tree. And um, Bishop Curry, of course, he gave a rousing sermon, didn't he? Unexpected in a wedding service with royalty and so many posh people around. But figs and fig trees are mentioned over 40 times in the Bible. And they speak of prosperity first. If you had fig trees, you were prosperous. You were prosperous. Deuteronomy 8 verse 8 says, promised land, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey. Not only prosperity, but pleasure. They were a priceless pleasure. Judges 9:11. Next, the fig tree said to the fig tree, "Come up." And the, next, the tree, sorry, said to the fig tree, "Come up and be our king." But the fig tree replied, "Should I give up my fruit, so good and sweet, to go swaying over the trees?" And so, just prosperity, giving great pleasure. And also security. Security. 1 Kings 4 and 25. During Solomon's lifetime, Judah and Israel from Dan to Beersheba lived in safety, each man under his own vine and fig tree. Isn't that wonderful? The part that fig trees played in the life of Israel. And of course, in the land of Israel, when people would see the fig tree putting forth its leaves, they thought of prosperity, they thought of pleasure, and they thought of protection. If the fig tree is blooming and producing fruit, then we are safe and secure. And it's not surprising that the Bible uses the fruit of the fig tree as a symbol of Israel, of Israel. God says, I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers as the first fruits on the fig tree in its season. And it's also a sign of judgment upon Israel because they would not accept the leadership, the kingship, the sovereignty of God. They took the blessings of God that God gave with the vine and with the fig trees, but often, after his good hand, they would turn away from him. They would forget God's goodness. And so it says in Jeremiah 8, 13, I will surely consume them, says the Lord, 
No grape shall be on the vine, no figs on the fig tree, and the leaf shall fade, and the things I have given them shall pass away from them. And it's very important for us just to understand the situation of Jesus and this fig tree because it was a sign that God was going to move away from Israel. You see, for three years, the Lord Jesus had been amongst them. The Bible says he came onto his own and his own did not receive him. And so he said to his disciples prior to the day of Pentecost, in Acts 1 verse 8, you will receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And that uttermost included each one of us. That salvation is being offered to each and every one of us. The people of God had turned away from the true and living God. Another thing I thought about in my mind was that first mention in the Bible of fig trees. Do you remember it? Way back in the book of Genesis, after Adam and Eve had disobeyed God and taken of the forbidden fruit, God warned them not to eat of the tree that was in the middle of the garden. He says, if you do, in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. They didn't die physically, they died spiritually. Their eyes were opened. They saw their nakedness. And what did they do? They took fig leaves. They sewed them together in order to, in order to cover up their embarrassment. But fig leaves were not acceptable to God. That was man clothing himself with self righteousness and that's what lots of people are doing today rejecting God's righteousness and putting on their own self-righteousness like those man-made aprons fig tree leaves and that was just not right for God and so there had to be a substitute if God was going to clothe them with skins. Blood had to be shed. And when I think of that, I'm thinking right now of Jesus. He shed his blood that we might receive the covering of God's grace, the covering of God's righteousness so that we might be rooted and grounded in faith, as the Apostle Paul says that we should be. And here were these people amongst whom Jesus was moving in the temple, out of the temple. They were so privileged. He came to his own people, 
but they rejected him. And it was only a generation or so later that the Roman Empire conquered Jerusalem and the temple was taken away from them. But there's something more wonderful than that earthly temple built with sticks and stones. It's your life and my life as temples of the Holy Spirit. That's what today is all about. The day of Pentecost. And God wants you and I, first of all, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And with that gift comes gifts of the Holy Spirit. But as I close, I want to mention the fruit of the Spirit. There was no fruit on that fig tree. I wonder, Christian brother, Christian sister, are we producing fruit, fruitful service. We're not saved by our service. We're not saved by our good works. Paul's that we're saved onto good works. We serve the Lord and that's the fruit of our salvation. And so we need to ask ourselves now, am I in Christ? Is Christ in me? And am I bearing the fruit of the Spirit? Jesus in John 15 talks about the vine bearing fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. So what is the fruit of the Spirit? Not what are the fruits. It's not plural, it's singular. One cluster, a nine-fold cluster of fruit. And Paul the Apostle, right in the Galatians, says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the fruit. The gifts are dispensed by the Holy Spirit to this one and that one and the other one. But every Christian should be bearing the fruit of the Spirit. And what is, to sum up, the fruit of the Spirit? It's Christ-likeness. That's what it is. Christ-likeness. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The fruit of the Spirit. Those nine pieces of fruit we see in evidence in the life and ministry of Jesus. I wonder, does he see that fruit in my life, your life, and our lives today? I pray that God will have spoken to someone. And if you're not yet a Christian the greatest thing that you can do is to become one because that will radicalize, 
change and transform your life. And you can't bear fruit if there's no root. So get rooted today in Christ Jesus and have the wonderful experience of bearing that fruit onto his honor and praise and glory. I pray that God will bless these few faltering words to our hearts and that we will go away with something to think about. In the song, very often at the end of a song, there's a little word, sila. It means think on these things. I pray that God will help me and all of us to think on. God bless you.